And now, it's time for the Shake and Blake Show live on Wildcat 91.9. I love it. Say it one more time. Shake and bake! Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Shake it, bake it! Does that feel good? Yeah. It rhymes. They're both birds. Awesome. Blake Crawford. The Shake and Blake Bowl. It's at Bell Snyder Family Stadium. It's just our faces on center field. John Grove. I think for K-State, in order to be successful, you're going to have to open up that passing game. Bring you all things K-State sports and even more. And it's Shake and Bake time. Welcome, everybody, into the Shake and Blake Show live here on Wildcat 91.9. My name is Blake Crawford alongside John Grove, as always. John, how are we doing on a very, very cold Friday night here in Manhattan? It is very cold outside. I had to put on two sweatshirts. I didn't feel like wearing a heavy coat, but I had two sweatshirts. I, I got a little bit of a... Uh, uh, what, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a little flannel, flannel. Yeah, a little flannel jacket. Got some nice kind of furry yeah. type stuff on the inside. That looks like it's keeping you warm. Yep. It, oh yeah, it is very yeah. warm. Especially when you put your hands in the pocket. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it really, yeah. it's really warm. But overall, it's been pretty good, boy. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's been a busy week for it's me. It's been a busy lots, week, yeah. Lots going on in K-State sports. Um, couple of home games this week. Couple of big wins for the men's and women's basketball team, which is what we're here to talk about. Because uh, if it's your first time listening, again, you're listening to the Shake and Blake show here in Wildcat 91.9. We're here every single Friday night from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. We also do... Um, an episode wherever you get your podcasts online on Monday, recapping the weekend in K-State sports. Um, so we're a K-State sports podcast. Um, we're not going to do any NBA or NFL stuff. You know, um, I'm trying to think of a way to make fun of you, John, for being a Broncos fan, but I got nothing this week. Um, we got a great show lined up for you. And again, if you love college sports and the Big 12, you're, you're in the right place here. Um, <laughs> what? You're looking at me weird. That was a delayed reaction to what you said about the oh, okay. Broncos. Okay, well, anyway, we got a great show lined up for you. We're going to recap K-State's big win over Baylor on Tuesday, where the Pac-12 might be heading with their media rights deal. We'll update you on what the baseball team has been up to um, with their matchup against number 1 LSU today in the Round Rock Classic. We'll talk about the women's basketball team defending home court in an impressive victory in the Sunflower Showdown on Wednesday and what G- Gabby Gregory's return next year could mean for the women's basketball team. We'll look at the Big 12 standings, go around the Big 12, looking at Saturday's slate and the latest bracketology for K-State in the Big 12 as a whole before we preview the matchup with the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Stillwater tomorrow at 1 p.m. on ESPNU. But first, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at ShakenBlake785 so that way you know whenever we're going to be going live here on Wildcat 91.9 and posting episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up Shake and Blake, shake the letter N, and then Blake should be pretty easy to find. Then you could follow the podcast um, and leave a review if you feel so inclined. We'll be back on Monday to recap the Oklahoma State game and everything else going on in the Big 12 and K-State sports. So let's get into it, John. Let's get into it, Blake. Let's talk about K-State, number 14 K-State versus number 9 Baylor, 11,000 people inside Bramlage Coliseum. K-State comes out with the win 75-65. to We move to 21-7, 9-6 in Big 12 play. John, <laughs> Baylor had themselves a rough, long weekend in Kansas, w- what happened in Lawrence, yeah. and then having to play K-State in Manhattan and the, what transpired in both of those games. 
Uh, was a rough couple of games for Baylor, but great for K-State to defend home court against Iowa State and Baylor, come out with two victories against ranked teams. And especially teams that knew how, that knew how to score the ball. Iowa State um, was held to their lowest overall, uh, scoring 55 points in Big 12 play. That was their lowest. Uh, and then the next thing you know, K-State's defense turns it around again against Baylor, where they held the Bears to 65 points. I mean, they were averaging 78.5 prior uh, to the game against K-State. So the defense, it, it, I mean, they have been stepping up. They have not They have not uh, pushed the brakes at all. I mean, it's all gas so far. Um, and just a lot of intensity uh, in, uh, for from uh, from a lot of the players on the team, in particular Marquise Noel, um, just with how, with how he's able to create all kinds of adversity uh, for, for the other guard, uh, whether it's uh, Lipsy for Iowa State or if it's the likes of Keontae George or, at, or uh, Adam Flagler or LJ Cryer or Baylor as well. But um, this might have been uh, one of case day, might have been, if not the best win, uh, all season for K-State. I mean, just the offensive outputs that you've seen so far from uh, the top-leading scores with Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson especially, a lot of people thought he was he was stalling a little bit just because he hasn't played this much basketball. He finished with 25 points, Noel. He had 14, he only shot two of 11, uh, but at the same time, he came over with, with 10 assists, um, and a, and on top of that, no turnovers and ten out of ten uh, on the free throws and throughout the, and throughout the last four games as well, he's made twenty nine consecutive free throws as well. Uh, that's pretty impressive. But overall, just a a fantastic performance overall. I mean, especially considering you only have twenty uh, when when you only had seven turnovers, just really been an area of weakness for K State. Uh, and you also had twenty assists as well. So all in all. A fantastic performance. Yeah, something to note. Um, Marquise Noel's 10 assists, zero turnover game. He's the first player in K-State history to have 10 assists and zero turnovers. So just another mark on his, you know, in his two years at K-State, the incredible things he's done. He's already set the single-season assist record this season. He's continuing to add to that. He might make it, you know, a fairly um, unbreakable record. We'll see how far he can get into this season. But let's kind of go back and start from the beginning of this game because both teams go back and forth for a while. Baylor just goes ice cold in the middle of the first half, and we're able to take advantage. We're up 23-13 to with 7-17 left. We're feeling real good, but then Baylor, I mean, just a flip switches, and they just mm-hmm. absolutely catch fire. They just, in two minutes, they go in an 11-0 run, and they take the lead with five minutes left. But they don't end there. I mean, they end the first half on a 21-8 to run. Um, they go into the locker room up three, thanks to a couple buckets from uh, Naquan Tomlin. But I mean, they were up by ten at one point. I mean, they were they started out 0-4 from three. They made their first three with like six minutes left, six forty-five left in the first half, and then just absolutely could not miss with the likes of L.J. Cryer and Keontae George just getting super hot. They're the best three-point shooting team in the Big Twelve, John. So it's not really surprising that they caught fire this quick. But man, it just happened so fast, and it felt like it kind of just took the air out of Bramlage Coliseum. I mean, just looking at some of the numbers with Keontae George and L.J. Cryer, uh, I mean, Cryer came away with four threes, uh, and Keontae George came away with six. I think adding that up all together, that's thirty points uh, off of off of uh, off of uh, their three pointers as well. So I mean, they uh, they shot the lights out. But another player that to a lot of us was going to make a lot of noise as well was Adam Flagler. He only finished the night with uh, going 1 of 13, uh, 0 of 6 as well. It was just an off night and 
real and really a, a possibly the best time to do so because of, because you would have probably expected uh, for all three of them uh, to be on. If not, then you would have maybe expected for some for both of them to um, for both George and Cryer to uh, well at least two out of the three players to to have a strong rhythm and they were. But K State did a great job. Um, just completely pinning down Baylor at the at the best moments, and on top of that, I mean, uh, the the um, guards for Baylor they had to play such a critical point because uh, had to had to play so I should say that again they were so critical in this matchup because Baylor's uh, paint presence was just not there. I mean, Flo Famba he was not effective at all. He only scored two points. Uh, Jonathan Chamochancho, he had himself a pretty good performance with 11 points, um, and Jalen Bridges was struggling as well. So Baylor needed a lot out of their out of their guards, and while they had Keontae George, uh, who is definitely in my eyes one of the top players in college basketball, he went off. Elgin Cryer uh, went off as well. It just felt as if he couldn't miss, but Flagler was just kind of struggling there, and I think that was the third player Baylor really needed uh, to get in to get them into that into the get them and a little more closer to a match. I, yeah. I cannot find a better way to say this, it. This is a different game if Adam Flagler just has anything remotely close to what he's capable of. One of 13 at that point. It's not even anything that we're doing defensively. Adam Flagler just had had an off night. And, you know, you mentioned it with their non-big production. I mean, I think Thamba and JTT are mostly for, you know, their defensive production is where they're key. I mean, you saw Jonathan Chamochacho hit a three, which was really impressive. He's got, that was he's insane. Got a nice, he's got a nice stroke for, you know, for a big man. Um, if he could, you know, continue to hone in on that and, you know, shoot a decent percentage, I think he'll make a great prospect for a pro. Along with Keontae George, a year from now, he'll probably be playing in the NBA. Well, but- I think maybe. I mean, he, he could be poised with a one-and-done deal and all. And, I mean, I don't know if Scott Drew can confirm this or not, but – uh, but he might be one of the players that could be in the one and done type of deal where you spent one year out of college and then you go to the NBA. That's just kind of how it out works. But uh, you know, Jonathan Chamachachua, uh, one of the greater stories. He was able to come back onto the court. Um, I mean, and when Jerome Tank saw him on TV playing, I mean, coming back, it looked like he said it, uh, he was about to shed a tear, but. Uh, he had a. He, I mean, he's really been one of the key contributors for Baylor lately on on a little bit of momentum before before playing KU and K State uh, throughout the past few days. But yeah, I mean, eleven points. I mean, he and he was also uh, the leading rebounder for, uh, for for both teams as well. Yeah, he had twelve boards and five offensive rebounds as well. So he was really key for them. But I mean, kind of. We talked about it. I talked about it a little bit before. We're down thirty-four, thirty-one at the half. But that second half coming around, John, and just mm. something, something, just a flip switches for this K-State team. We shoot fifty-seven percent in the second half. We only have two turnovers. The entire second half, we outscored Baylor twenty-two to six in points in the paint. And I mean, a lot of that was led by our starters, Marquise Duan, Keontae Johnson had 30 of our 44 second half points. The lead got to its biggest 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean you um you talked about we talked about it earlier with Noel 10 assists, zero turnovers, first player in K-State history to do that. Um Keontae Johnson with 25 points on remarkably good shooting. It was really good to see him find his rhythm in the second half. 20 assists on 28 made baskets. I think this team kind of found its stride at home. 
Um, it's just a question of whether they can do it on the road. But, I mean, overall for this game, I mean, you mentioned it. Um, could be one of the, in terms of quality of performance, one of the best games we've had this season up there with, you know, KU in Manhattan and Texas um, in Austin. And and part of that as well, and, and just talking about the comparison between K-State and Baylor, we already know <laughs> that Jerome Tang has had some, at some, I spent a lot of time in Waco with Scott Drew, so he he at so he probably has a pretty big blueprint of what to expect from ba- expect from Baylor as well. Um, Baylor d- didn't does uh, does o- does overplay a little bit on defense, which did lead to a lot of backdoor cuts from what I noticed, and a lot of ju- and a lot of fantastic passes from Noel, and it just in in inside it just looked like Keontae Johnson was having a heyday. A lot of Backdoor lobs, backdoor cuts, but that haven't been there for the most part. Uh, um, but they were able to shine through when they needed to the most. Yeah, I think Marquise Noel's passing in the second half was extremely impressive. You mentioned with a lot of those cuts, he was able to find those guys and set them up for easy baskets. The reason we were able to shoot 57% in the second half, it's not like we were just shooting out of our mind from the logo every single time. It's because <laughs> we were getting easy layups yeah. a lot of the time, and we were able to score them 22-6 to six in the paint for that reason. Um, you know, we outscored them, uh, I think, 42-16 to 16 in points in the paint overall in this game, and that's going to win you a lot of games when you do that. I think the one thing that you can take from this game that is concerning, it's a recurring thing that we keep talking about each episode, John, mm-hmm. but it's the rebounding. We lost the rebounding battle in this game. You know, Jonathan Chamochachua, 12 boards, 5 offensive rebounds. Um, in this game, obviously Baylor, you know, with Flo Thamba and JTT, like those are some big dudes that are going to be hard to stop. But we've seen it. We saw it in the Iowa State game, John. We've still able to come out with wins, but we haven't been able to win the rebounding battle. Um, and that will come into play uh, when we play Oklahoma State with Caleb Boone, which we'll talk about yeah. more a little bit later on in the show. Um, so that's a bit of a point of concern that I'm, you know you got to keep your eye on for these last three games, especially when you think about – we'll talk about in bracketology – K-State's jumped up in the seeding, but you think about if you're if you're a, a team that wants to legitimately make a Final Four run, you got to get through the likes of Purdue and a, and a guy like Zach Eady. Zach Eady. I mean, can anybody stop Zach Eady? Probably not, but, I mean, he would cause a lot of problems, and there's a ton of bigs around the country that would absolutely give us some trouble if we have those types of aspirations. So it's something we got to keep working on. But, I mean, overall, just a really great win. Great atmosphere in Bramlage, obviously. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we didn't get the bricks for sticks. A um, couple times came close, but obviously you got to talk about Sandstorm, Sandstorm uh-huh. and the new wrinkle, you know, bringing the lights down with the I flashlights. Like that. that was really awesome. They did it in the game on Tuesday and in the women's game on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool wrinkle to add to kind of continue to kind of add to the um, the prominence of the Octagon of Doom and make it something really special and compete with some of the best venues in the country. Just to fully enhance that Bramwedge atmosphere and, 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 Bramage overall. I mean, we've seen a lot of great atmospheres, and and particularly whenever Sandstorm goes on. Uh, I mean, of course, everybody. Uh, the first thing they're going to think of Sandstorm is the uh, is the swearing chant that the student section uh, came up with. But I mean, you want to talk about a guy that has done a perfect job just changing every everything around. Really, when the Texas Tech game clicked, everybody was starting to chant KSU, KSU, and and I feel like at that moment it really helped us. It really helped solidify just like what like who we are as as a as a fan base, and on top of that, just having more more variety of what you want to do with Sandstorm as well. And I think it was really cool that they turn off the lights and then they had the. 
but they had the flashing lights as well. I just thought it was so cool. I was in the student section at the time, and, <laughs> and we were we were like doing the kind of a it was kind of like it was like a swag surf type of yeah type of dance we were doing. I don't know. It, it was just overall awesome. Yeah, well, you know, we'll continue. You'll continue to to tweak it and you know, kind of master it. And obviously, our fan experience staff, I'm sure, just having a blast, being able to continue to help build the atmosphere in Bramlage Coliseum. And I think it's going to continue. There's going to be continued wrinkles over the years as we keep having success, and it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, but obviously, just to remind, 21 and seven is our record. We're nine and six in the Big 12. We'll get to the Big 12 standings and kind of where we fit in that picture a little bit later. But again, just a, a really great win, John. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. Of course. But, <laughs> thanks for your permission. But up next, we'll up John will update you on what the Pac-12 has been up to with their media rights deal, and we'll do some Wildcat headlines on the Shake and Blake Show with Blake Crawford and John Grove on Wildcat 91.9. And we're back on the Shake and Blake Show live here on Wildcat 91.9. Blake Crawford alongside John Grove. John, I didn't really do any research on this Big 12 it's or the Pac-12 fine, media man. rights deal because um, you always do such a great job. And I feel like if we could get an explanation from you, it leads us to oh, do some questions. But, I mean, hit me with it. What's the Pac-12 been up to? Okay, so I, I, I like, okay, I'm trying not to get myself too caught up <laughs> in the Big 12 propaganda. You yeah. know, shout out to the likes of John Kurtz, uh, Pete Mondo of Heartland College Sports. They're doing a great job keeping up with the reliance. I, like, I, like, look, I wouldn't do a complete full episode on, on, on reliance situations. The only time we did, the only time I was, I did that was when I, when I was doing it with Colby over summer was when yeah. USC and UCLA left. But, Arguably, arguably, here we go, tongue twister. Uh, the biggest storyline of the offseason, uh, offseason uh, out of college football, has been in regards to the occurrence that, uh, that what has been happening with the Pac-12 ongoing pursuit uh, for media rights deals. Uh, I mean, the conference somehow, they managed to have some of their best on-field product uh, in a long time, uh, in, in maybe a decade possibly, uh, while having also possibly the worst off-the-field issues as well. I mean, of course, they lost UCLA, USC to the Big Ten, um, which has made uh, obtaining a media rights deal a lot more adequate and far more difficult than it needs to be. Uh, but there have been some reports who, uh, of who is in and who is out. ESPN, Amazon, and Apple, they are being the last few publicity-known entities in the mix uh, for potential media rights deal. Um but there have been a but there's been a few people um, who's 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 been aware of some of these media deals in the past that may have missed that uh, that have stated that the patch will have as missed a few few uh, few months ago. I mean they just continue to uh, find every way to step step on a rake and, and then you know the stick hits them ahead. Um, so. The Pac-12 is just in a terrible situation. Um, they're not getting the type of numbers they're looking for uh, when it comes to the media deal. Um, they don't have necessarily the best options, and the problem is they waited too long. Um, they've been caught up with all these side problems with uh, UCLA. They were trying to block UCLA from going to the Big Ten Conference, or just wanted a reason, while early on, a few few months ago, uh, you had Brad Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner. He was able to outmaneuver the Pac-12 in getting a media deal done with ESPN and Fox. So that means 
uh, you're not only getting the best uh, t- you're you're not you're all uh, blah. you're not only getting the best security uh, with ESPN and Fox, but you're also um, but you're also going to get more visibility uh, as well. So you're gonna so you're going to get ESPN and Fox, but Pac-12 has nothing right now. <laughs> Fox says no. CBS said no. NBC said no. And currently, the Pac-12 is looking at possibly ESPN, Amazon, and Apple. But the problem is, ESPN and Amazon—they have been lukewarm. They—they they have they—they—they they, they said they like to have possible—they—they they like to have it, but at the same time, they don't want to pay too much for the Pac-12 media rights, and that's just—it's it, it, a killer for the Pac-12 because they want—I mean, because they want possibly one of the higher deals possible to try and keep up. Uh, with not just the Big Ten, the SEC, but in, in reality, they could be behind the Big Twelve and the ACC as well. So uh, there's just been a lot of wondering eyes within the media, and a lot of disappoint disappointing reactions. Uh, in particular, with Arizona State lately, they have been very expressive of how uh, just how big of a letdown it it has been so far. And uh, as a month, it'll probably take two to three months if a media deal gets uh, get. I mean, two to three weeks if a media deal gets completed. But if not, then there's going to be a lot of panic mode out out in the West. So it's just so interesting hearing you talk about it. That you know they've taken so much time. It feels like they're really trying to negotiate hard for what they want. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they're not getting the numbers they want. But just it seems like the more time goes on, it's not going to get any better. Mm-hmm. The numbers, I don't think they're going to be quite getting the numbers they want. Even They might have not got the numbers they want before. The Big 12 negotiated their media rights deal. And it just seems like they have no leverage. And it seems like they're not willing to cut their losses after, you know, they feel like they need a win after UCLA and USC left. And it just seems like they're really reeling right now. And at what point do they just kind of give in and just say, we got to do something? Well, that was just pretty much the case of the Big 12, right? Because yeah. we know when Texas and Oklahoma left, there's just a little bit more of an uh, of a a little more of a resurgency within the other eight Big 12 schools, um, just with more competitive uh, with more competitive fire. I mean, you saw K State win a Big 12 title. I mean, for up, I mean, the last two years, Oklahoma and Texas have not been in the Big 12 championship. You got it. You got it factor into that as well and on top of that the big 12 is essentially far more deep in competition in both football and basketball the pac-12 in football they're front-loaded like top five teams that can contend for a conference title but you have a one and 11 colorado team a three and nine cal and stanford team that's going to be holding everybody back typically in the big 12 it would be ku for football but that's no longer the case because Lance Leipold is just doing magic crap that that I haven't seen uh, in 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 my lifetime. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I mean, getting I mean, KU kind of fiddling around with in football now. There's not really indication on who's going to finish last anymore in the Big Twelve in football. And then bask. I mean, of course, basketball Big Twelve is just the infinity gauntlet of uh, all conferences. I mean, you just take one snap of a finger, everybody uh, who's competing in March Madness is going to be gone, and the Big 12 is going to have uh, eight representatives in the Elite Eight. That's just the way it is. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I, it makes me feel a lot better that we do have a com- commissioner that's able to take the right steps necessary to help secure, not, uh, not just secure the Big 12, but look ahead and seeing what to expect, whether it is um, 
in terms of revenue, just like a total rev- revenue check within the uh, eight Big 12 schools, or if it means potential other expansion opportunities, whether it's the Pac-12 or whether it's just some basketball-only schools, because, they're because again, they're looking at Gonzaga and potential other members in the Big East Conference as well. So uh, we'll see what happens. Just It was just kind of a little bit of an update, but... Uh, it's it's some troubling times with Pac-12, and if they're not getting a media deal done around mid-March, uh, they they might be they might be screwed. Yeah, it's it's been troubling times in the Pac-12 for a while, and it seems like it's only getting worse. And they're just eagerly waiting but, for and, that media rights deal to be done. And man, earlier today we just had this, they just had this whole all, all entire conflict because Brett McMurphy uh, came out with with uh, with a little bit of news saying that. Pac-12 is looking at Ion Television of all entities uh, to be the to be the next media rights partner. Uh, but Vince Stewart Mandel, who who is kind of more uh, who's kind of more lean towards Pac-12, he said that's not true as well. So we're going to have a complete propaganda war coming up. I mean, you got the likes of Dennis Dodd, Brad McMurphy. John Kurtz and the likes uh, uh, out here in uh, in Big Twelve country, and then you have the likes of John Wilner, John Canzano. Tony Altamore, the one who just decided to block because he thought academic morals value uh, value, value more, uh, despite the fact that NIL was created in California in the first place. He continues to ignore the fact, and he just continues to be a stubborn. Baby. <laughs> uh, but but anyways, it's just gonna be it's gonna be really interesting, and and we'll see if if Apache is able to get on Rafita as well. Uh, even when when they're considering expansion as well, because we're because San Diego State and SMU, uh, they're also looking at pot- potentially joining that league as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting story and one we're gonna continue to follow. John, let's go ahead and move let's on. Do that. Let's do some Wildcat headlines because we yeah yeah let's do that. We talked about there's a lot of kind of home games this week for K State, but there are five teams that are on the road this weekend. Men's and women's basketball are both on the road. Obviously, the men at in Stillwater and the women are playing West Virginia. Track and field are in Lubbock for the That's indoor right. Big 12 championships. Tennis is in Dallas, taking on SMU. And then baseball, who we're going to talk about now, is in Round Rock, Texas, um, taking a part of the Round Rock Classic. Just to give you an update, if you haven't been paying attention on the baseball team, overall, swept Stephen F. Austin um, to start the season out 4 0. Oh, they fell to Lamar, who was 4 3. Um, Herman Fajardo got the start and didn't really did not do well. He made made it to two innings, and then Trey Robertson came in and he couldn't even record an out and give it two more runs. Um, Lamar went out, got up four one, and they were to hold it to win four three. It's a really good Lamar team yeah. as well. I mean, you you want to talk? I mean, we were talking about before the show. You had some guys associated uh, with the Kalamazoo Growlers during the summer as well. Yeah, and and the day prior to playing K State, they beat number five Texas A and M in College Station. So. Uh, I mean that's a great team, but uh, of course then next uh, next thing you know, right after you play Lamar, then you turn your heads and you just look at this giant behemoth of a squad in LSU that you're going up against in Round Rock uh, two days later. Yeah, and they took on LSU today, and they actually ended up losing seven to three. They got off to a good start, scoring in the top of the first to go up one nothing. Um, and then it was you know three to three to two for most of the game until around the seventh eighth inning LSU kind of exploded out and took a seven to two lead. Uh, able to score one more run to make it seven to three. And uh, you talked you mentioned this earlier uh, when we were talking before the show, John, that the game ended on a uh, clock violation on the mm-hmm. batter 
which I think it's just uh, a very silly way to end that's the game. So dumb. But you know, I think you get, you give LSU a run for your money. I think that's you know somewhat respectable, and I think you know something you can kind of take home, you know, as you can kind of, you know, continue out here in Round Rock, Texas for the weekend. Yeah, but deep, I mean, but it looked as if um, the defense was was overall uh, playing pretty well. That was pretty much until the bottom of the six when LSU kind of just took over. The center fielder, Dylan Cruz for LSU, I, I kind of keep up with some of the no disrespect to K-State baseball, but uh, like some of the other hired teams in, in college baseball, I'll keep an eye on a little bit. But Dylan Cruz and uh, Tommy White for LSU, they both picked up a single uh, before Ty, uh, Ty Rule uh, uh, pretty much just kind of balked. And LSU got two runners in, and pretty much since then, they just kind of went, uh, they just pretty much went on a run, and they didn't look back. Yeah, and they'll finish out their um, games in the Round Rock Classic playing Sam Houston and Iowa mm-hmm. before they take a little break and then play Omaha in Omaha on uh, Tuesday. That's going to be brutal. A, a, a trip to Omaha in early March. That, I feel like that's going to be cold <laughs> w- cold weather. Uh, cold, uh, I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh, it, yeah, cold. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be – yeah, you know, I'll just leave it Cold is it. the operative word, yeah. We'll operative see, word. We'll keep track of the – Just co- keeping it as simple as as possible. <laughs> and we'll keep track of the conditions in Omaha during that time. Uh, let's talk about women's basketball, John. They played in Bramlett's the day after the men's team in the Sunflower Show and against KU um, looking to split the ser- season series, and they did that. They beat KU 63-45. to They outscored KU 37-23 to in the third and fourth quarter combined. Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell really shined in this game. They scored 44 of our 63 points. Sundell with 24 points. She was 8 of 10 from the field. And then uh, Gabby Gregory had 20 points herself. So we're 16 and 12 on the season, John. We're 5 and 10 in conference play. So guarantee a winning record this season. And that guarantees a postseason play in whatever fashion that may take. Most likely the WNIT. Um, but overall, I mean, it's great to get a win against KU. Obviously, Sandstorm played there, and we got the flashing lights thing too, which was really awesome as well. But a really good performance by them. They've just play play so well at home. It'd just be really nice if you could see that kind of performance on the road. Just kind of seeing some some interesting patterns, both with the women's basketball team and the men's basketball team, and a lot of teams just in the Big Twelve in general, where they just compete a lot more. Just they they're just better at home, whereas on the road they just they're just kind of struggling, but yeah, you know, K State. Uh, it was a slow first half start. KU was KU was getting a lot of sh- a lot of shots from deep, but K State was able to use a twelve-two run, uh, bridging the first and second quarters to build ultimately a nineteen-to-five lead. And again, they just didn't look back. I mean, Serena Sandel, um, she had she's been playing a lot better basketball lately. She came away with twenty-four points, eight of ten shooting. Um, you, uh, you also had Gabby Gregory with 20 points and four rebounds. I believe she registered her 17th game of the season with 20 or more points, uh, which is the most of any player in the Big 12 uh, this season and the third most in season uh, in a season in program history. Yeah, this is something I didn't realize. We mentioned that they struggle on the road and play a lot better at home, but I think that's a bit of an understatement because at home they're thirteen and three, okay, and on the road they're zero and seven. We haven't won like a true road uh. game this season, which is. Really, I mean, especially just that TCU game. Man, that just really, that really one, is a game you wish you had back. That one, 
it looked to me as if that would have been the postseason, like, dagger, like, in terms of a bubble. Like, that pretty much popped, whether it was the NCAA or NIT. But you were able to re- you were able to recover some of that, the NIT opportunity back, especially beating uh, what should be an NCAA tournament team in KU. So, um, uh, K-State, of course, they, they, uh, they have West Virginia coming up this weekend. It's never an easy outing uh, in Morgantown, but... Uh, we'll see how, how the women's team does and see if it can build off momentum off the, off the huge win. Yeah, they play at 5 p.m. tomorrow on Big 12 now on ESPN+. Plus. Now, um, let's kind of zoom out for big picture because I think we're going to have a similar conversation that we kind of had last year about the women's basketball team with, you know, Gabby Gregory. Um, you know, I think Brian Smuller talked about it on Twitter and multiple times announced that she's going to come back and play another season for K-State. Mm-hmm. So you think about it, you have Gabby Gregory coming back, who's just been an absolute star for us. Aoka Lee is going to be back and uh, hopefully healthy. You've got the Glenn Twins going into their junior year as well as Serena Sundell. I mean, the things that this team can do kind of coming into their kind of final form here – put together a really solid team that's experienced and well-developed. I mean, you think about what they did last year with Aoka Lee and true freshman Glenn Twins and Serena Sundell. Um, I think the possibilities, this team could really do some things next year. Well, on top of that, they're bringing in a pretty good recruiting class as well. So there's a lot uh, there's a lot of highs coming up for this team. I, again, I understand that, this, that, that they still have plenty more to do this season, but – um, just looking at the potential op, uh, impacts that each player on the team could give next season. I mean, Jasmine Halberton mentioned it already. She thinks it's going to be a ring season. Uh, it's very possible, especially if Ayoka Lee can get back to her true form. Uh, I mean, man, this team could be very dangerous. Yeah, when Ayoka Lee, you know, at her peak, she was, I mean, one of the most unstoppable players and, in women's basketball. And pretty much when everybody's connecting on offense, you know, uh, last year, we, I mean, when we were talking about Ayoka Lee, she could score 61. I mean, there wasn't too many other impactful, uh, more efficient players offensively, but now we're starting to see the likes of Serena Sundell and and the Glenn twins. They're starting to rack up more points for the squad, and um, if, if, if possible, they, they can even further elevate uh, their their um, their shooting next season. Yeah, and you've got other bigs. I mean, Eliza Maupin and Heavenly yeah, Greer Maupin. and Cher Samatsi. I mean, you've Samatsi, seen them able to yeah. develop. Eliza Maupin, she, I think she's got a lot of potential. She's super athletic, and I, we'll see what they can do coming to the next year. But there's a lot to be excited about in the future for this women's basketball team. John, let's go ahead and take a quick break. But uh, up next, we'll go around the Big 12, look at the latest bracketology, and preview the Cats matchup with Oklahoma State on the Shake and Blake show with Blake Crawford and John Grove live on Wildcat 91.9. And we're back on the Shake and Blake show live here on Wildcat 91.9. Blake Crawford alongside John Grove. Let's start out by talking about the Big 12 standings real quick, John. Let's do that. Because obviously the last couple wins for K-State have got them all the way from like fifth to now third in the Big 12 standings. Still a full two games behind KU and Texas, who are both tied for first place at 11-4. and four. But K-State's at 9-6 and six right now, tied with Baylor, but they've obviously got the edge over Baylor with the season sweep um, thanks to the win on Tuesday. 
So right now you're the three seed if you're going into the Big 12 tournament. If it started today, you'd be playing DCU, which, you know, in, in any is. other conference, you know, playing a six seed in a, against a three seed would be, you know, you'd think it would be a little more winnable. But TCU is a dang tough team, especially with Mike Miles. Well, of course, what 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 would K-State be doing in the Big 12 tournament without playing TCU every <laughs> year? I mean, it just feels like we're, we're playing TCU well, we didn't play TCU last year. Well, we I mean, played we, them in 2020, well, we, 2020 to, to win the Big 12 championship. <laughs> I still love that joke because that was the only. Oh game, yeah, that, that was, was the only game played during the That's Big 12 right. tournament. Um, That's my favorite joke. Yeah, but 2020, <laughs> uh, 2019 when we were the one seed, I think TCU was was TCU an eight seed. I think TCU was an eight seed, and then you also had a few four or five seeded games as well back then as well. So, so I just I just kind of want some variety. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance for some movement. Obviously, with three games left, Baylor and Iowa State are the four and five seeds, and then you've got obviously the bottom half with Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and West Virginia all kind of they're pretty close to that bubble um, right now. I think all three of those teams are you know either in the last four in or first four out of the next four out. So they're, these last three games of the Big Twelve tournament are really important for them. Let's go ahead and go around the Big 12 and look at the Saturday slate for Big 12 games. Um, not any like crazy games. There is one that game that should be really good that we'll spend a decent amount of time talking about, but let's go through some of these other ones first. 11 a.m. ESPNU, Oklahoma versus uh, 23rd-ranked Iowa State. This is at Hilton Coliseum. So you would imagine Iowa State would, you know, get it together here and put on a good show in front of their home crowd and whoop yeah. Oklahoma, you'd imagine. Um, 11 a.m. ESPN 2, 24th-ranked TCU playing Texas Tech. This is in Lubbock. I think Again, that could be a really good game. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit in bracketology, but Texas Tech is right now, I mean, considering how they started in Big 12 play, there's a possibility that if they win a couple games, they could sneak into the NCAA tournament. And we could possibly be looking at nine teams playing in the Big 12, in the NCAA tournament. Nine out of ten. That's 90% of, <laughs> of the conference. That's just uh, that's just insane. Texas Tech is the team playing better right now. They're also playing in Lubbock as well, which is yeah. going to give them a huge advantage. Um, TCU struggles. I mean, lately they've ha- they've been team wide. They're, they're scoring six point six fewer points per game. Um, they're, they're also uh, one in five against the spread too. So whoever's in Vegas, I wouldn't <laughs> bet on this one. Uh, well, for TCU's sakes as well. But Texas Tech shooting forty eight percent from the field throughout the past few games, thirty nine percent from three as well. So some pretty good numbers uh, for Texas Tech, and I and I expect them to continue shooting that way tomorrow. Yeah, and then uh, 3 p.m. ESPN, West Virginia takes on third-ranked Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. You'd imagine KU would defend their home court there. Obviously, K-State taking on Oklahoma State. We'll talk about that in detail a little bit later. But this is a big game here that we're going to talk about next. 1 p.m. ESPN, 8th-ranked Texas and 9th-ranked Baylor in Waco. Um, this is a Baylor team that I think they were just kind of exhausted after a tough trip to uh, Kansas, what happened in Lawrence, and I feel like they just lost their legs in the second half against us. So I think they're going to be motivated in front of their home crowd, but this is a really good Texas team that's just been consistently taking care of business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, the Bears have been struggling uh, with KU and K-State. 
Um, on the plus side is for the Bears, they're at home. They're 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 thirteen at two. I mean, bleh, thirteen at two when they're playing on their home court. Uh, their two losses came by combined at three points, with one of which coming in overtime against K State. Texas won the first meeting, uh, but that was before the return of uh, Jonathan Chamuachua. Uh, Texas was just four and four on the road this season, with four defeats coming by at least seven points. I think Baylor is out to advantage of loss in Austin. I think they're they're looking to get back on track. Uh, heading into the final week of a, of a regular season. I think Keontae George and LJ Cryer, both of them are going to feed off into the Ferrell Center crowd. I think Baylor's going to get back into the win column. Yeah, you'd think you know Adam Flagler would be motivated after a tough game from him to kind of get it together, and you know Keontae George is going to show out. Um, so let's look at the bracketology. So we talked about it. Um, you know, This is according to Joe Lenardi, first where I'm getting this bubble stuff. Uh, West Virginia's in the last four buys, and then Oklahoma State's in the last four and Texas Tech is in the next four out. So Texas Tech needs to get a couple of wins because, you know, there's still there's about, you know, five teams that are ahead of them right now. So they, they're looking for some, some of those teams to lose. Um, and, you know, hopefully they can maybe do something in the Big 12 tournament. But, yeah, nine teams, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, so let's get into what K-State's up to. It's um, There's usually some variety in terms of, you know, the bracketology for K-State each time we've done this. But um, you'll find that it's actually the very, very, it's very, very similar. So let's start with Joe Lenardi from ESPN. Um, since we talked about it last week, John, K-State has shot up from a four seed to a two seed oh, in Lenardi's latest bracket in the East region um, after two wins over ranked teams. We play Vermont. Um, what's their what's their nickname, John? The Catamounts. The Catamounts. Do you know what that is? Uh just pretty much a cat that mounts i yeah i guess a cat that mounts i i don't know i yeah maybe people in vermont know better i i, I don't know i just kind of call them canadians sometime as well uh but you know two seed uh playing, oh, you, in, playing it, is, it is a cat sorry i looked it up a medium-sized or large wild cat especially a cougar so okay. thank you yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, well, I mean, our our our, our mascot, like Willie, like the like the logo and all, it's kind yeah. of inspired by the the Kansas mountain lion. And uh, long long story <laughs> uh, for for another time. But you know, two seed, you're playing in Des Moines. Uh, that second round matchup against Michigan State could get real interesting yeah. as well. Tom Izzo always does a great job with his teams. Um, but looking at the rest of the field, Tennessee's been on a just been on a rough skid lately. Uh, San Diego State, um, pretty good team, but again, they're coming from the Mountain West. I don't know if should be taking them uh, too per- uh, too seriously, but again, we 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 barely beat Nevada and the Cayman Islands. Uh, you got West Virginia there. Creighton's playing. Creighton's uh, Creighton could get real hot in March. They've been playing some of their best basketball. They have not. They've not turned off the brakes as well. But of course, uh, the Elite Eight matchup. <laughs> if K State were to where to win their first three games, they had to match up with Zach Ede and Purdue. Yeah, which would be really tough. That'd be brutal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned if we were to beat the Catamounts of Vermont, we'd play the winner of Michigan State and Pittsburgh. Uh, let's move on to Jerry Palm from CBS. Um, he's always been pretty high on K-State based on what I've seen from his bracketology. It was surprising to see Joe Lenardi put us as a two seed. He feel like he's always had us as a three seed, but I guess those two ranked wins really – Put it over the top for him. Mm-hmm. We're also a, t- a two seed for Jerry Palm. We're in the South region. We're also playing Vermont. In, um, in Des Moines. Yeah. Yep. 
And if we want to play the winner of NC State and Memphis, um, kind of interesting because Iowa State and TCU are in our region, as well as Illinois, just for fun, who they've fallen to an eight seed. Oh, jeez, an eight seed. Yeah, Illinois has fallen off. I think they were a four or a five seed um, in the recent memory from checking in with them. But Brad Underwood's really um, not gotten his team together. So um, Bama is the one seed in the south region for uh, for this hypothetical scenario. And then Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated Get this, John. He's got us as a two seed in the South region playing Vermont. Wow. So that's kind of crazy. All three bracketologists that I looked at here had has as a two seed playing Vermont. I'll um, just I'll just wrap up with this. As long as we're not playing UC Irvine. Because yeah. I saw a few bracketology <laughs> picks early on this week where K State was a three seed and UC Irvine was a fourteen seed. I can't I can't let those dang anteaters traumatize me again. Yeah. I actually saw like somebody did a simulation of the bracket and it was that matchup and they had UC yeah, Irvine yeah, winning. UC Irvine winning. <laughs> it's like just rub it in even harder. Jeez. Um, if uh, if we were to win that game, according to Sw- uh, Kevin Sweeney's version, we would play the winner of Arkansas and FAU, so maybe a chance for Desi Sills to play his former team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami is in our region. Which, well, I, I want to say Miami Giol is from Ark. He used to play one year oh, at Arkansas, Oh, he did play at Arkansas, yeah. too. I don't think he ever played because he had a medical problem. But, yeah. yeah, that's true. But Miami is in our region. Bama's the one seed. Um, I think Miami would be a really fun team to play to see Nigel Pack play his former team and have that whole thing going on. Um, yeah, like that in Illinois. Any of the the good um, Big 12 teams would be fun to play. Um, Missouri. There's a lot of good opportunities for some fun matchups uh, here in March Madness. Absolutely, man. It's it's right around the corner. I it mean, is. you've got some of the smaller conferences playing basketball here next week. Uh, Big 12 tournament will get underway two weeks from now. I'm really excited, Blake. It's almost that time of year. Ah! Yeah, it's it's the greatest time of the year. Um, some of the it's one of the best weekends in all of sports history. Lots of money mm-hmm. going to be spent that weekend. Um, hopefully, some people can at least just break even. <laughs> yep, and uh, I mean, especially now we're just a few weeks away, and one of those teams that are on the bubble. They're going to be pretty hungry for a win, and I think you know who, I'm, who, we're, who we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think that is exactly who we're going to talk about, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who K-State is playing tomorrow, 1 p.m. on ESPNU in Stillwater, Oklahoma, in the Gallagher, is it Iba or Iba? Iba. Gallagher-Iba Center Arena. Um, Oklahoma State was red hot in late January and early February. They won five games in a row, four conference games in a row, but they've now lost three in a row. They're desperate for a win. Um, to gain some more security in the NCAA tournament, they're currently 41 in the net rankings. Um, have a lot of a lot of people have them as their last four in, and they've lost three in a row, like I said. But these losses haven't been close, John. They have not. 11 point loss to KU, a 25 point loss to TCU, and an 18 point loss to West Virginia, which is the most embarrassing one. Which is weird because like three because like right at right before that KU game, they they came into Ames. And they handed Iowa State their only loss inside Hilton Coliseum as well. It's just weird. Yeah, they've definitely been missing Avery Anderson, who's still out with a wrist injury. He's been averaging 11 points a game for them. But Bryce Thompson on Monday injured his hamstring against West Virginia. He's questionable for the game against K-State tomorrow. He have just 12 points a game. So Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson are their second and third leading scores. So to not have them is going to really... 
um, make it tough for them. And mm-hmm. their last three games are tough, John. Um, they're not going to have it easier to get some wins. They're playing uh, us on the at home for them. And then they host Baylor. And then they have to go to Lubbock to play Texas Tech and then obviously the Big 12 tournament. So they're going to have to make something happen mm-hmm. in those you know four to five games, um, including the Big 12 tournament, to make something happen. The last time these two met was January 10th in Manhattan. K-State won 65-57. to Caleb Boone for Oklahoma State had a great game, 23 points on 9-15 shooting, but it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marquise Noel had a great game. He had a great game shooting it as well. I think he was 6-12, of 12, but 20 points, 7 assists, including that awesome alley-oop to Keontae to seal that the victory. That was crazy. Uh, I think this is going to be another defensive grinder type game. Oklahoma uh-huh. State's the be- one of the best defensive teams in the country. They're 21st nationally in field goal percentage defense. And uh, they're actually 16th in block shots per game, much thanks to the likes of Caleb Boone. Because um, he's, he's their leading scorer. If they don't have Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, he's going to be the guy. You know, he's, he should have a big target on his back, you know, on the whiteboard <laughs> pregame for K-State because he's going to be the guy to stop. If we can stop him, I think this could, there's a pretty clear path to victory for K-State. It's really about the size as the determining factor for me in my eyes in, uh, looking at this game. They, they've limited the turno- uh, turnover performance against Baylor, just an impressive and clean showing. Uh, but now it's just time to elevate uh, that that notion because Oklahoma State is a different animal. Uh, their players know a lot of assignments. Uh, Melissa Cisse, he's back in the middle to average 2.1 blocks per game. K State's also I, let me say let me say it this way. K State has settled on an eight game eight man rotation. Uh, uh, to roll with a Bimejiola against some of the bigger lineups, uh, while Taiki Green continues to play small ball. Uh, K State they have the flexibility, but uh, if not tremendous depth. Uh, the postseason play, though, um, it's going to be <laughs> after game from timeout to timeout, and as it kind of goes on, Oklahoma State's going to be a really good test. Um, just kind of preparing K State for some of these in- interesting matchups uh, when we when we see the Cats in March. Yeah, something to note: Musa Cisse didn't actually play in the first meeting between these two, so it'll be interesting to see how his um, contributions will kind of play a factor. Because we've talked about the rebounding concerns, and he obviously will play a big part of that for Oklahoma State. But obviously, containing Caleb Boone, continue. You know, obviously, just do do what you did against Baylor, and you'll win the game. You know, keep the turnovers low, good passing. Start limit, the s- limit flow Famba and Jonathan Chamuchachua to a certain degree. Yeah, keep the energy even though you're not at home. You know, continue to play with that energy. Don't let the crowd get into it. And I think there's a clear path for victory. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, uh, that wraps our t- up our time here on the Shake and Blake Show with Blake Crawford and John Grove. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow the podcast. Uh, follow us or follow us on Twitter as well at ShakeandBlake785. Leave a review if you're so inclined. Just look up Shake and Blake wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back Monday to recap the Oklahoma State game and everything else going on in the Big 12 and Cats by 90. Cats by 90.